0: My guest today is Lars Christian Wilde, President, Chief Business Officer and Co-Founder of Compass Pathways, the mental health care company dedicated to accelerating patient access to evidence-based innovation in mental health, as they describe themselves. Compass was one of the first companies engaging in a bigger vision of the substance psilocybin. I remember talking to Lars in one of the first podcasts of the New Health Club, and one of her topics was if there would be a vaccine against depression, still an interesting thought to me. I also remember how openly Lars talked about his treatment-resistant depression and anxiety disorder, and the effects it had on himself and the people in his life, and how he told me about his treatment with psilocybin that helped him tremendously. I'm always a fan of people, especially entrepreneurs, in the psychedelic field, that share their psychedelic experiences and are personally affected by the power of psychedelic substances. But now to our conversation about compass pathway in 2020 a lot of things have happened at compass in September last year, the company became a public company, listing their stock on NASDAQ and raising one hundred and forty six million compass has become one of the most exciting companies in the field very fast so lars and i catch up what is happening in the compass world right now how does a public company feels different how does the compass and the shepherd pratt collaboration looks like since compass is opening a center of excellence in collaboration with the shepherd pratt institute for advanced diagnostics and therapeutics in baltimore maryland to do more research their psychiatry department exists since the 1800s, so Lars and I talk about how you can implement old research data from the beginning of psychiatry and the new psychedelic research and how this can look like. We talk about COMPAS study in collaboration with the Charité in Berlin and how to conduct the study in times of COVID at all, plus how COMP360, a psilocybin therapy trial for treatment resistant depression, will work. So please enjoy the episode and Lars. So Lars, brackets, Christian Wilde, you're on the show for the second time. And I think like in this year, the last year, like it feels like five years than just one year, what has happened. So and just correct me if I'm wrong, but at the moment, so you're the co-founder and the president of Compass Pathway, right? That is correct. Okay, good. And um, so, of course, I pretty much everybody will know the company who's listening to this podcast. But first of all, we already talked a little bit about it. How did you guys proceed last year when the pandemic was hitting and mm. all the trials were just set up and then you had to stop? How did you manage through this?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Indeed, it's been a crazy year uh, for everyone. Um, <clears throat> and just further emphasizing probably the need for new therapies and mental health actually when you look at the rising numbers through the increasing isolation maybe something we can talk about later. Mm-hmm. In terms of our uh, COVID response I remember it was in uh, February so right around the time a year ago um, uh, we were in London uh, with the team, had team meetings in the office and um, uh, together decided very early actually to shut down the office because mm-hmm. um, obviously we can work remotely. We're in that fortunate position. We don't have any production. And um, obviously the trials are run by our university partners. And so we could actually give people the freedom to work from home early. Then you know, we said, I remember we, we had a discussion um with our team and we said, okay, now is the time to actually take action. Our office is in London in Paddington station. So the whole world is traveling from Heathrow oh, wow. to Paddington, basically through our <laughs> office. And so we said, okay, that's really the worst place to be. And the situation was completely unclear what COVID was and what it, how, how severe the situation might turn out. And so we said, look, we shut down the office and um, we work remotely and um, we did so before uh, we were used to working on zoom there was always in any meeting there was a colleague that had to dial in and so that was not a big change for us i remember everybody said you're crazy you're overreacting and uh, then mm-hmm. three weeks later or so the whole world shut down um so uh, i think we did it at the right time <clears throat> and then in terms of obviously the um Uh, You know that we're running our face-to-be program uh, in North Mm -hmm. America and in Europe. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the uh, study had to uh, stop initially um, and uh, we had to assess the situation. Now we're live again um, um, in uh, 10 countries, 22 sites. So we cope really well um, Mm -hmm. uh, with it. Um, We're not losing much time. And so that went well. But I think, you know, we all... Uh, I mean, you know, this situation, we're all pretty much uh, fed up with uh, being only virtual, just lacks the human touch to be in person. um...
0: But I mean, like, do you think that, excuse me, uh, that in, let's say, like the studies also would have to then be let like half half or like maybe full on digital? So how, how important is like the you just mentioned it, like the human touch for studies. I mean, it must be super important also, right?
1: Look, I, I, I believe so. Um, that uh, the, the the we know, for example, the um, therapeutic alliance between the therapist, the lead therapist mm-hmm. and the patient is really important. And so we cannot lose this, right? Um, psilocybin therapy happens uh, in a mental health care facility and um, uh, under the Uh, guidance of uh, a trained therapist so we can't um and we can't and we don't want to get rid of that aspect but um there are many um uh, ways around this and so for example we are able to uh, have um, uh, sessions uh, digitally uh, with the patients uh, for preparation and integration Mm -hmm. Um, for example um uh, we have remote uh, follow-up visits on the um, depression, uh, severity of the patients post-dosing. Uh, so um, we see that probably as many companies experience that COVID is a little bit of a catalyst uh, to drive um, change that was already coming yeah. at, at a higher speed now.
0: Like with everything, with um, digital worlds, with, um, like you mentioned earlier, with the recognition of the mental health crisis also that it's kind of unstoppable. But quickly coming back to last year, I mean, if you kind of review the le- the year last year, like 2020, leading up to the IPO, so what would you say was the biggest yeah changes or, or things you maybe kind of mm. never really thought about earlier last year? Because, I mean, I feel, and we talked about it before we started the, the recording, it's kind of, it feels like a, an accelerator for everybody, mm-hmm. um, and by the by, by the end of 2020, things had happened that nobody expected in January 2020, for example. So, how yeah. how does this look in in terms of Compass?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. Probably, if you were asking different colleagues, you would get different answers yeah. <laughs> um, based on their perspective yeah. and what they are active in. So, I can speak uh, maybe for I, I can touch on different aspects mm-hmm. of the company, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, so obviously in, in terms of the clinical trials um, uh, typically our uh, clinical operations team would travel from side to site and uh, be very much um, out there at uh, our clinical trial partners and um, we, we always had in-person training for our therapists etc so we had to reinvent this whole logistical apparatus mm-hmm. um, which obviously initially created a lot of uh, uh, hectic in the team and I think they did it extremely well so that's running like a well-oiled machine um, and then on the other hand um, as you know we went public last year um, and in order to get public we uh, uh, we also closed another private financing round in uh, March um, or right yeah I think it was around March um, so just three weeks into the crisis, and everybody said, oh, you're never going to close a financing round. The board is going to stop. And you know how in, investors are in capital markets, right? You saw this huge reaction where all the stock markets dropped and investors lost confidence. And we were lucky that we had amazing investors on board that um, at no point uh, considered uh, pulling out of that fundraising. And so that happened all um, online um, already mm-hmm. uh, without a lot of in-person uh, interaction. And when you look at it, right? The round we raised was um, was 80 million, um, and uh, so so without actually see, meeting the investors uh, in person, um, oh wow, or, or some of the investors, some we met earlier, but uh, you know, and and then we we teed up for the IPO preparation. So the idea of the IPO was to uh, access the uh, capital markets to raise the funds required for the late stage clinical trial programs, and eventually commercial build out to. Bring the therapy to patients, and if you raise these amounts of uh, capital, um, eventually you need to be a public company because there's only so much capital so the venture capitalists will be able to provide you as a private entity. So we had to prepare for be- the life as a g- public company. Um, our uh, our research team was growing, the financial team was growing, and so we onboarded um, uh, so many colleagues that we've never seen live, right? And so oh, you'd run all the wow. interviews in person, you never shook a hand, yeah. And, um, so that was an interesting uh, experience, and um, uh, so so obviously we grew and uh, we prepared the IPO. We had hundreds of investor meetings uh, in this format on on Zoom, uh, simply where the normal modus operandi would have been to be in an airplane and go from major uh, capital uh, market city, London, New York, San Francisco, Chicago, etc., um, meet all the investors, and we did all of it on like. A, like we do now on Zoom, and so instead of doing a two-week roadshow for an IPO, we did it in four days, for example. And so the world really, uh, like you said, changed, accelerated. Um, but uh, what, yeah, I mean, what we learned is, and maybe that is that is really important. Is um, you know, oftentimes in psychology, people say depression is a disease of disconnection, and mm-hmm. um, the lockdowns worldwide created. Uh, this perfect storm of isolating people in their apartments, um, reducing their contact to nature, to their friends, to their social uh, connection, to giving them a feeling of uh, connectedness maybe in their jobs. And so we saw this huge explosion globally um, in depression, um, and that's going to stay with us. And so that, for the team made it much, You know, it, it emphasized the need to move very quickly to get uh, cytosine therapy to patients. Mm. Um and so, um, yeah, it was an exciting year uh, that emphasized how important it is what we're doing.
0: Do you feel like a different person now in an I- IPO company? <laughs> yeah,
1: I remember actually, uh, George and Katya, my co founders mm-hmm. and I, we spoke uh, the day after our IPO or, or the weekend after the IPO. And we said, look, do we feel differently? And the answer was absolutely not. It was yeah. just, to us, it felt very much like another financing round. and um uh, because you know for us really very little change yeah there's a little bit of um we uh, call it bureaucracy or you know a- as a private company you have a bit more leeway as a public company obviously um there's there are restrictions on information sharing for mm. example there's um obviously all the compliance with the SEC but once that is organized the focus is still on patients right and andpsilocine therapy so
0: but wouldn't it give you also like like a like an energy flash that this is possible because you were pretty much
1: the first one yeah right? no, i mean no that that so <laughs> uh, what it? i think on that side i think well that happened a little bit before because we okay. saw that this mm. would happen right and so i think what it uh what it meant to us actually probably the um the round that we uh, raised in, in spring basically showed that investors have fully come around. Mm-hmm. They see that there's a lot of promise in psilocybin therapy. The regulators believe in it. We had great interactions with insurances that are looking mm-hmm. to be involved um, if psilocybin comes to market. So that boost of confidence that this is really possible, that came earlier. And yes, it was maybe further emphasized by the IPO, because that means we can raise all the required funding for the phase three and for the rollout. Um Absolutely.
0: Because, I mean, like, suddenly I met friends who were like, yeah, we just bought Compass Pathway stocks. I was like, so this <laughs> is really happening. So, I mean, it just to me, like, even 2019, like, there were so many people saying, yeah, just nobody knows when this will happen and it can, go, maybe it can go wrong and then everything starts from nice. the beginning. So, and then 2020 was like the total confirmation that this is a serious industry also. That is uh, that people would rather invest in now than Amazon or Facebook, my friend, definitely, for example.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, this is uh, this is true, right? I think this is important. Um, it it is a major opportunity um, to kind of set the record straight and really fund the research required to figure out mm-hmm. how is uh, psilocybin therapy or secondary therapy at large ideally delivered to patients, um, and how do we create change i think it also led to some uh, irrational exuberance um you see now i mean you know right there are a lot of uh, former cannabis uh, entrepreneurs yeah. and gaming yeah. and mining gaming, entrepreneurs right. that suddenly <laughs> have become uh, uh, biotech entrepreneurs that yeah. uh, but, but you know i think uh, I, I caution everyone um this can only happen through rigorous science um mm-hmm. i believe that's important and you know i applaud anyone else who's, who's trying to do this in a in a rigorous uh, manner,
0: but I mean, also what happened last year is th- in in the American election, showing how people wanted to have this treatment. And like we, we said this so many times already in in other interviews, but there were I feel like forty articles um, after the election, um, even in very conservative surroundings, or like or like even magazines like Fast Company. All of them saying uh, drugs are the big winner of the election. So, I mean, what did, for example, the, the Oregon model mean to you that the um, the whole development that has happened in, in Washington, but also in, in Oregon, was it something you guys were kind of reacting to or like getting in touch? And because, I mean, it, it seems like it already says it's going to be a model for the future for other places.
1: Yeah, I think it was a huge vote of confidence by the population and change in mental Mm -hmm. health. And uh, they see the promise in the therapy. Um, uh, So absolutely uh, great to see that the awareness has reached such a level uh, in the wider population, both on the side of recognition of mental health suffering and the need for new solutions, um, which uh, I feel that the U.S. are really leading in terms of that public Mm -hmm. perception that The studies are out there. There's a lot of hope around psilocybin therapy. Uh, As you know, Anna, the situation in Germany is still very different, right? If you go to psychiatrists here and tell them, look, we're developing psilocybin, they still might think you're um, a bit bit too far out there. Um, So it just shows that we still have a way to go. I think um, it's exciting. And uh, drugs won the election. (laughs) That's a funny way to put it. I think uh, it's important, right? I think we uh, as a team... Uh, believe or as a company we say look um, uh, the the war drug has has failed right we see mm-hmm. a massive crises especially in uh, opioid abuse and we have great role models in Portugal and the Czech Republic where mm-hmm. all drugs have been decriminalized and um, people are not uh, criminally penalized uh, for using drugs but if they have a drug uh, abuse habit they're treated as patients right and I think that's the way um, that uh, hopefully the world is going to develop uh, over the next 10 years and um and yeah i think there's a clear uh, path forward now um if the science holds up um for psilocybin to become a, a a real option for patients
0: so psilocybin seems to be now the most um like the the most classic thing to research, I would say, in the meantime, and I mean, but before we come to the to this research center, you guys are actually working with now. I mean, I feel in maybe also because of lockdown mm-hmm. and um, because people can't travel to like other places and to to the Netherlands or something. So my feeling is that ketamine therapy has become very popular because you can do it. In the cities, also, like where you live in, and I mean, um, I started one. um, (laughs) Was it last year? Yeah, and then now I'm a second round, and I think it's so interesting, and it's it feels like, why is this not more communicated to? So many people who, I mean, I just kind of started to work on my own things that came up during during last year. But, I mean, it's kind of interesting to me that there's no communication at all about the possibility that you, like how you could already use it right now, like without being doing something illegal. So, Mm -hmm. but I mean, um, coming quickly back to the, to your study that you started at at Charité in Berlin, can you talk a little bit about that already? Is that... What, yeah, what maybe is. on the
1: uh, on the ketamine part, right? I think ketamine is a phenomenal uh, a phenomenal treatment. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah. With with great backing, uh, with great research backing, Yale has done a lot of uh, work mm-hmm. on it uh, mm-hmm. under uh, John Crystal, Jerry Sinacora, which for the first time showed that it's a rapid acting antidepressant, and especially for people that are in a suicidal ideation crisis, right? Mm-hmm. It it might provide immediate relief. The effects are not as long-lived as they seem to be with, uh, hopefully, cytocybin, right? You see that patients typically improve for a few days and then if they are in a really deep depression, they need to come back for another treatment. Um, But it's a real option. The problem, I think, that that uh, exemplifies is how important it is that um, a drug is developed all the way to market. Because for ketamine, there are these academic studies and yes, they look great, Mm -hmm. but ketamine has not been approved. So that means that if you want to, uh, have it it's an off-label treatment so uh, the prescribing physician needs to make a decision on a per person basis typically it's not reimbursed therefore um there is no uh, wider awareness in the key opinion leader community had someone taken uh ketamine all the way through phase two phase three yeah, right. worked mm-hmm. with you know a hundred clinical trial sites and uh Uh, in let's say Europe and Mm -hmm. and the United States there would be very different awareness and then you could go to the um, uh, national insurances uh, work with them on a reimbursement model and then people could access uh, the treatment so that is the step that is missing for ketamine and uh, that is the the step that's going to be different for psilocybin right once it's developed and the the insurances reimburse it and the prescribers are aware of it then patients can actually access it and there would be much more awareness of it
0: but I mean do you think that there will be more studies on ketamine, also let's say in, in in Europe, because I mean, like you said, in Yale, there it's already. I mean, you can even watch a couple of YouTube videos about this, how Yale is researching it for a while. But I mean, it's interesting that it's it's there and it's mm. it works for mm. a lot of people on a very different level. So, and wh- why do you think there's? There are not real ketamine studies happening here.
1: Yeah, the problem is that there's no company behind it that has a motive to develop it, right? And um, as we see with psilocybin, it takes hundreds of millions yeah. to develop a drug mm-hmm. through all the required studies, the, the regulatory studies, and then the studies to actually generate the evidence that the insurances can look at and say, is this a cost-effective treatment for patients compared to the standard of care? And no one is taking ketamine, um, because there's a lack of uh, financial interest in it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because okay. ketamine is uh, is very affordable, it's off-patent, etc. Um, and therefore, we don't see ketamine moving forward. J&J um, mm-hmm. uh, has developed one of the isomers mm-hmm. um, of ketamine, S-ketamine, um, all the way to market. But uh, the interesting thing is that ketamine consists of two isomers, R and S, and they seem to be somewhat synergistic. And um, so uh, it would be very interesting to actually see a head-to-head comparison between S-ketamine and, uh, and uh, the racemic ketamine. And it's interesting. It seems that the U.S. Uh, payers um, are partnering up to compare S-ketamine to, uh, to um, the racemic ketamine mm-hmm. uh, to find out if uh, indeed racemic ketamine uh, is the winning Drug. Mm -hmm. If it is, they might actually reimburse it in the United States, Mm -hmm. and then you could see uh, ketamine being rolled out.
0: I mean, I think it's going to be a very interesting tool for the future. To really, I mean, besides the the, for people who are like feel suicidal, which a lot of people seem to feel at the moment because they can't cope with it anymore, but besides that. It's also an interesting tool to really start to communicate with yourself on a very different level and um, mm-hmm. on a very healthy level, I feel, that is really kind of giving you information that you have forgotten or that are important to put your, I don't know, your your topics together in a very different way. So I'm, I'm a big hit of it, but <laughs> obviously. So, so, but coming back to, uh, to Charité. Um, mm-hmm. So can, can you already talk a little bit about um, how you guys, what are you actually researching and before yeah, we absolutely. come to the Shepard Pratt the Institute? But of course, a lot of people in Berlin would like to know what is actually yeah
1: happening. Yeah. So, so Charité is our clinical trial site in Germany for the wider Phase 2B program. Um, our Phase 2B where we are researching uh, cytosine therapy for the treatment of uh, treatment-resistant depression. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, our... Uh, our partners at uh, Charité um, are involved in that study, and we're treating a total of uh, uh, 260 patients mm-hmm. um, okay. in that program um, in Canada, the US, and then uh, eight uh, European uh, countries, one of which is, is Germany.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, yeah, no, we're we're really excited uh, about having such a reputable institution. Uh, part of that study in Germany, obviously, because that will also start the dialogue in Germany to um, right. and look yep. at the science and um, uh, consider the benefit of psilocybin therapy.
0: So can you talk a little about, a bit about what the study is exactly about? So is it a comparison between psilocybin and SSRIs? Like,
1: Great question. Okay. It is not. Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. so, so this is a, uh, the, the official term would be a dose finding oh, okay. um, mm-hmm. study. Um, And uh, we are uh, having uh, three arms uh, in that study. Uh, One milligram, 10 milligram and 25 milligram. Um, The study has a power of 90 to detect a six point difference on the Madras um, depression rating scale uh, at week three after dosing. And then we're comparing the 25 milligram and the 10 milligram to the one milligram uh, dose in that study. And, um, you know, maybe the 10 and 25 milligram doses have been tried before, for example, the study that was done in treatment-resistant depression at Imperial College in mm-hmm. 19 patients. Mm-hmm. They were pre-treated with 10 milligram dose to familiarize themselves with the psychedelic experience, which did not have any major uh, antidepressant effects in that study. And then um, uh, they received a 25 milligram dose, um, I believe, two weeks after, uh, and they had a massive uh, antidepressant uh, response in that study and so the idea is that you know across uh, different uh, nationalities and different trial sites that we can still show a strong effect uh, in that study uh, confirming what the active dose would be and then um, hopefully after successful completion of the phase two B program we would then take the active dose into a phase three program again in north america and Europe.
0: Mm-hmm. okay so But, I mean, you just, you already mentioned it, that the topic in Germany is kind of, still kind of a very difficult one, one could say. But I feel this year, um, also because of the other study from the, I think it's also... Uh, Professor Gründer and the Mind Foundation yes. and um, yeah. the uh, Zentrum for Psychische Gesundheit in Mannheim. I mean, that's that's a, a study that was uh, f- kind of re- co-founded also by the German government. So I feel like maybe by 2021 there will be a whole different attitude in in Germany also because the government literally gave money to this. Do you think this will affect the perception?
1: A huge vote of confidence, obviously, you know, somewhat reputable as, as Gerd Gründer, who's uh, obviously one of the leading key opinion leaders of Germany, an amazing researcher to, um, to look at this uh, seriously in a second study, mm. hopefully confirming uh, our results. Mm-hmm. I think it, it, Germany is a country with amnesia because uh, yeah. it's very interesting, you know, <laughs> yeah. until the late uh, 1990s, you know, when everybody in the U.S. always says, oh, there was a the ban on psychedelics in 1970 and everything stopped. That's that's directionally correct in the U.S. It continued for a couple of years and then funding dried up and the field moved on. That's not true in Germany. Right. Mm -hmm. We did the last psilocybin studies in the late 1990s um, at the University of Cologne. And uh, Germany was amongst the leading centers, if not the leading center in psilocybin research um, at the University um, of Göttingen, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, where Hundreds and hundreds of subjects were treated with psilocybin for all kinds of disorders, not only depression, but eating disorders and so on. So we have a very rich history in Germany of psilocybin research with amazing results. But uh, when, you know, when the field uh, stopped and all the uh, researchers of that generation retired, somewhat this knowledge was lost. And um, Mm -hmm. so I hope that with positive results in that study, uh, in these studies that you just mentioned, um, hopefully, also people will revive that knowledge and will realize that we uh, we have quite a history in psychedelic well, I mean, in Germany. Well,
0: I mean, Merck MDMA uh, 1913, and and Bayer heroin. So, I mean, everything happens in in the Cologne Düsseldorf <laughs> area.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like yeah absolutely. I mean, look, uh masculine mes- hefty, yeah. right? So, or Switzerland with with Sandos, right? They um Discovered LSD, and they discovered uh, psilocybin as the active alkaloid and mm-hmm. in magic mushrooms, and created a lot of novel psychedelics as well early on uh, at Sandoz, and uh, those were also researched in Germany. So indeed, there's a rich history.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. But let's quickly come back to the the Shepherd Pratt Institute. So, um, yes. you talk about or like in, in the articles I read. So it's basically presented as. I mean, the center of excellence will model the clinic of the future. So h- can you talk a little bit about how this clinic, the clinic of the future in terms of um, psilocybin treatment could look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we're trying to find out uh, together <laughs> with our colleagues at Shepherd Prep. <laughs> okay. Maybe uh, to take a step back before diving deeper into Shepherd mm-hmm. Uh what, what was really interesting, what we saw in our um, phase one uh, program mm-hmm. uh, was that we dosed. to six participants at the same time in the same room and when you compare that to the other studies uh, done in the last 20 years with cytosine was always one patient two therapists in a room Mm -hmm. Um, and so we thought about you know is that really uh, a requirement um, or could we do it in in larger groups Mm -hmm. and in that study um, we had 90 participants they all decided to stay in the groups they could isolate themselves None of the participants did that. Interesting. Um, mm-hmm. We were also able to not have two therapists per participant, but only one therapist per participant, which obviously will lower the cost to the system if you need fewer therapists. Mm-hmm. And um, and the most interesting result is that we had the lowest anxiety rates in any of the modern-day psilocybin studies. studies.
0: Wow.
1: So that might be a chance result, who knows, but we discussed it with the uh, PIs. And the PIs' opinion is that maybe the group experience has a calming effect on the participants right if you never had a psychedelic experience and suddenly you realize that your perception of reality changes you might get nervous about it but when you look around you see it happens in a group to everyone else um, this might have a calming effect um, on the participants and so that was a very interesting um, result and uh, from there uh, we actually got involved in a major depression disorder uh, program um in in maryland
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, where we under our ind uh, with the fda um there are uh, groups of four so patients are prepared in groups of four they receive cytosine in groups of four and they integrate in groups of four um, wow. for the first time in mm-hmm. patients and so um when we think about how do we scale this right if the studies are successful how do we scale this in the real world um, we believe that um, simultaneous administration which is a kind of group administration might be the way forward so when we think about the clinic of the future what we want to understand is what is a commercial model that makes sense and maybe the answer is that a patient that has a first side of experience needs to do it in the more traditional model alone with a therapist mm-hmm. but maybe once they're familiarized and they have a follow-on session of therapy, for example, maybe they can do it in a group. And um, so that is uh, one of the aspects that we're really interested in that we want to research in the future. So we talk about the uh, clinic of the future, the idea yeah. of the centers of excellence. Um, there are a couple of uh, objectives we have. We need to train a lot of therapists mm-hmm. that we can do through the center of excellence model. Um, we need to Uh, create awareness for psilocybin therapy. So we want to have a place where we can go with payer systems, like insurances or state payers, where we can go with um, leading uh, partners from mental health care hospital chains, for example, or uh, psychiatrists that have their own clinics that they come to a place and look at what should psilocybin therapy look like. And then the question is, uh, Anna, where can we take uh, psilocybin therapy beyond depression, right? Everybody at the moment is... uh, is very much focused uh, in our team on delivering uh, a world-class treatment-resistant depression program. But we did a lot of research preclinically, um, and obviously there are also some academic studies in uh, other uh, psychiatric disorders and substance abuse disorders with phenomenal results. And so now we're looking at where can we go next. And Shepherd Pratt is one of the world's leading institutions in psychiatry, seeing 70,000 patients um, in their wider environment. And um, so they are uh, an ideal partner for us to investigate these uh, new areas. And so, for example, one of the studies we're looking at uh, together with them is bipolar type two. Uh, So bipolar depression is obviously a huge need. Um, We're looking at suicidal ideation. Um, Back to the ketamine point, right? We know what's the benefit of ketamine is it works immediately Mm -hmm. and um, takes people that do respond out of their um, suicidal, Uh, thought patterns. And um, the the question is, might psilocybin do the same, just with a longer duration, so that the patients don't have to come back Mm -hmm. um, the following day for a follow-on session? Um, So, uh, and and then severe TRD. um, At the moment, in our TRD study, we're looking at patients. What is TRD? Good question. uh, Treatment-resistant depression. So, in our core program treatment-resistant depression, we're looking at two to four pharmacological failures in the patient's current episode of depression. But obviously, there are these people that have had depression for 10 years on end, and they have failed um, uh, many more treatments. And oftentimes, these patients uh, end up in a state where they're on very heavy uh, antidepressant medication. It could be antipsychotics, uh, tricyclics, um, lithium, etc. Um, or progress into electroconvulsive therapy, which is very efficacious, but obviously has a huge side effect profile, right? People are put under generalized anesthesia. They are uh, electro-shocked to create a state of convulsion um, that uh, seems to reset the the brain, but it comes with uh, a a real irreversible impact uh, on the brain. And so uh, that is one of the, uh, that's called the severe TRD population. Um, that is something that uh, Shepherd Pratt is interested in in researching with uh, with us, and um, so we're broadening out um, the portfolio into uh, new mm-hmm. indication areas with them. The idea is to run small studies um, that don't take much time, and as soon as we have a signal, we would move them into large trials similar to our phase two, phase three program.
0: And I mean, I read that they exist. Uh, the Shepherd Pratt Institute it's, uh, was founded in eighteen fifty three. Which is super interesting to me because I was thinking, do you guys i mean obviously they they already also looked into mental health um treatments since then, so do you look into studies they did on the topic that are maybe like fifty sixty seven maybe even like a hundred years old or like experiments because I mean there were always like if you look back in in the the history of um of studies there are often hints that one could find but they weren't executed because it was it seemed crazy or it seemed not really realistic or just too expensive so is is there kind of an archive that you guys are working with what they already researched since their beginning
1: that that is a very interesting question and um, indeed when you look at uh, the studies that have been done in psychedelic research over the last 20 years While they seem very novel and exciting, they have all been done before, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. If you go back to the 1950s and 60s, they might not have been done with psilocybin. They might have been done with LSD or mescaline. But we're just replicating what has been done before, because back then we didn't have the same definitions of a disease that we have today. Today, we are much more skilled in identifying uh, what problem a patient has and uh, we have uh, more advanced statistical methods we have uh, double blind placebo controlled studies that were back in the days when psychedelic research was at its peak still the rare exception um, in research and therefore it makes a lot of sense to replicate um, these mm-hmm. studies and um, i think the uh, when you when you go back um, in in psychiatry there's this disconnect between psychiatry and psychology in the past right at some point the psychiatrists tried to tweak a little, they thought it's some uh, chemical imbalance in the brain that needs needed fixing. And then on the other end, you had uh, psychologists who said, look, psychiatry doesn't make sense at all. Um, and I think now we see more uh, convergence of both fields where people say, how great is it if we can help people with a medical intervention that might give their brain the ability to change, but at the same time, we bundle it uh, with a therapeutic intervention. And so I think that's where... Um, Uh, psilocybin therapy comes in right you have um, these strong biological effects um, of psilocybin for example the reduction of inflammation in the brain or the increase of neuroplasticity that give you the ability to make changes and then you have the therapeutic intervention so I'm pretty sure there's a lot uh, to be learned still from uh, from what has been done in the past Um, but but as you might know they are also very uh, abysmal mm-hmm. practices in psychiatry when you think about lobotomy yeah, um, for yeah. example and uh, Does that
0: still exist uh, actually?
1: and I've... Luckily not uh, I, I was surprised, I recently read this art. there was an interesting article in the New York Times of the history of psychiatry and I think uh, lobotomy came to an end in the late 1980s um, which is shocking uh, that it still um, went on for so long um, another one that was very popular in um, in uh, 19 in the 1950s 1960s was uh, insulin overdoses. Uh, ah, so right. you basically mm. injected insulin to create a state of uh, uh, hypoglycemia um, to induce, uh, for example, convulsion. Um, that was then replaced with uh, electroshock therapy, um, and and the the the, the really negative. Uh, I mean the apart from that was very little scientific backing for these methods. Oftentimes uh, a lot of that happened against the will uh, mm. of the patients, mm. right? If you were, if your family decided you have a mental illness and you need a treatment, then often these treatments were done against your will, uh, which is shocking. And so uh, obviously psychiatry has progressed a lot. And um, uh, I, I think that we should rather learn from the mistakes uh, that, that have been made. And um
0: well at one point Obviously you, you a, didn't have a will anymore, I guess, right? After a couple of these treatments. Yeah. You were just
1: Yeah, and I think this there, that, that is exactly where where side you know, with that is what happens when you see people that are uh, sometimes put on three, four antidepressants at the same time, right? You lose your uh, overall emotional response, uh, you become somewhat Yeah uh you don't really care about uh you, you lose your sense of agency and it seems that science is doing exactly the opposite mm-hmm. when you look at mm-hmm. the results of the academic studies right where patients come out and they say suddenly i have full agency again I'm i, an I have <laughs> back my last for life you <laughs> know i want to i want to do something with my life well, right great. and so um, so that's that's exciting right and if we could show this um uh, with shepherd pratt in other education mm-hmm. areas um Uh, That would be phenomenal to do that with such a reputable research institute.
0: Well, it seems also that the research for agency is like one of the most important things at the moment. I mean, again, especially in the pandemic where a lot of people rethought their agency or what they wanted to do with their life anyway. So it seems like another contribution to... um, to look for a support systems so that can help you in finding this agency again. But I mean, let's, of course, we have to talk about um, the, the treatment called Comp 3060, or do you say Comp 360.
1: We say come three six zero. Yeah. Okay.
0: So I mean, which is if you if you read read it up, it it's described as psilocybin therapy trial for treatment resistant depression. So maybe you can talk a little about how this look like or how this will look like if you if this comes, let's say, I mean, to the market or as a treatment in hospitals.
1: When when we looked at developing it, right, we asked ourselves the question where where's the need the biggest? And um uh, we didn't uh, answer that in a vacuum, but we obviously worked a lot with uh, our scientific advisors. We worked with the regulators and the clear guidance there was focus on treatment resistant depression. That is where the need is the biggest. And um, when you look at, for example, the study study, which is the largest depression study ever done, you see that when patients become depressed for the first time, um, typically they go to their uh, GP mm-hmm. and they describe that they are in a state of sadness and um, Uh, that's oftentimes the first symptom they describe to their practitioner and and they have a lack of energy and so then typically they're put on an SSRI um, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor and a third of patients respond really well just takes them out of that hole Mm -hmm. um, and they go on with their lives then uh, the two-thirds that don't respond they come back a couple of weeks later and say hey I didn't really get a response from it. And then the uh, physician often prescribes another SSRI or an SNRI. um, And um, again, another third respond. So uh, two thirds of patients are really well treated with the existing uh, uh, treatments. But then you have that third that does not respond. And then it becomes really... Uh, a very quickly problem because then they have already failed these two treatments. Then typically the GP says, look, you got to see a psychiatrist. The patient goes to the psychiatrist and then the psychiatrist doesn't really have any measurement tools. So they start, they, they look at the guideline and the guideline might say, look, give them a tricyclic, give them an antipsychotic, Um, you know, try to get them onto psychotherapy, which, um, uh, you know, the waiting lines are very long. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, to get an appointment if if that's supposed to be reimbursed and so that's where it becomes uh, very difficult and that unfortunately uh, impacts uh, over 100 million patients uh, globally uh, and that was before the pandemic mm-hmm. so with the pandemic we know these numbers are rising very Double. very sharply and so the um uh, that is that is our focus so um Now think about this patient, hopefully after approval of psilocybin therapy, right? They come to their psychiatrist and they say, look, uh, here's uh, what what my GP has uh, prescribed. This hasn't worked. And then um, hopefully the psychiatrist is aware of the ability to prescribe uh, psilocybin therapy. And already today we're speaking with some of the large mental health care providers in um, Europe and uh, the United States. And so what we expect is that the clinic systems will build out treatment rooms. You will have the uh, larger uh, psychiatric uh, practices that consist of psychiatrists and psychologists that will have the treatment rooms to run um, psilocybin therapy. And then the patients will largely go through a similar um, scheme as they do in uh, in our face-to-be program. They will work with the therapist uh, to be prepared. Uh, for the session meaning to approach it with openness and um, to learn some coping mechanisms to breathe through any um, uh, turbulence during the actual experience then the experience happens in a in a clinic um, uh, either in a session where the uh, patient works with the lead therapist or maybe even in the future as i said in somewhat of a group Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. setup and then the patient will uh, again afterwards uh, integrate the experience which we believe is crucially important right there when we look at the um uh, the more qualitative analyses of the studies often sometimes patients say something like this felt like 20 years of psychotherapy condensed into six hours mm. for the first time i understood why i became depressed i realized what uh, behaviors don't uh, serve me anymore i realize what uh, relationships don't serve me anymore and i realize what relationships i neglected what behaviors i neglected so they have clear insight if they then process that together with the therapist We believe this contributes to these uh, positive long-term outcomes. And then maybe uh, the last thing to say is that um, we are seeing that digital health becomes just mental health treatment. And so the idea that we have with our team is to look at what are the most promising uh, tools that patients might be able to use in the future to support hopefully the positive effects of psilocybin therapy. For example, we're uh, we're working on a digital phenotyping solution, um, which would allow us to on a per-patient basis, predict um, the patient's relapse. And we know that, you know, some patients that do respond to psilocybin therapy, they improve for three months, Mm -hmm. others for six Mm -hmm. months, others for 12 months, others forever. But the response is very, very varied, right? And if we could then say, um, look, Lars, you know, you're out of your depression, but now we're seeing that you're worsening. You're going back to your old behaviors based on your, Mm. uh, for example, mobile phone use. Mm. (laughs) Um, And then we could invite patients back into the clinic and have them have another cytosine therapy session before they become depressed again. That would be the holy grail because we know that at every point in time when a patient uh, becomes depressed again, the chance of recovery is only 50%. Mm. And so we hope that this will be the model of the future where patients have the ability to exercise cytosine therapy in that safe environment.
0: If you really think it through, that let's say, let's say at one point the whole world is able to do psychedelics based on their depression or to use it as a tool to cure their depression, it's something I really think a lot about recently. That do you think that the human being will actually be changed after this? Because I mean, I think everybody who started to do psychedelics in in a safe, a certain setting, and in a rather maybe medical, therapeutical approach, even then you realize how certain things that, uh, like you said earlier, used to be very important are completely kind of disappearing. And also a lot of things that were related to consumerism or like things that one gets told in in education, like Mm -hmm. owning six houses and five cars and you know, kind of all this kind of you should be so and so, you should do this and this. And I feel if really like let's say I mean it's just like a like an idea, but if like the whole world population would actually undergo this, what would that actually mean? Do you ever think about that?
1: <laughs> look, I think this. Yeah, I do. Uh, I do uh, not, not not on the abstract philosophical yeah. level necessarily. No, no, and in a practical but, level. But I yeah. think on a very practical yeah. level, because when you uh, when you look at um, You know, what is depression, right? Um, There are different theories, but uh, one of, uh, that I find very convincing is that it's somewhat uh, an evolutionary adaptation uh, Mm -hmm. to adversity and um, uh, to stress, for example, or to trauma. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you know, what traumatizes people and what creates stress, right? Um, When you look at uh, countries that are very egalitarian, um, where people have a social safety net, when you look at the Scandinavian Mm -hmm, countries, and you correct for impact factors like it's dark for six months of the year, right? If you correct for that, the depression levels are much lower compared to states, uh, to countries where you have a very capitalist system without that framework, where when people uh, become sick, that they have general health care or that they have a social security net. So there's this constant stressor. And, um, uh, you know, this is is an interesting one uh, to observe, right? Um, if, uh, you know, if people are caught in that red race um, of this constant stress and they uh, can't free themselves from that, then you have that stress that will always make you make you depressed again, right? And so um, uh, what, what we see with, with, with uh, psychedelic therapies, right, the integration part is really important to your point, right? If you can mm-hmm. reassess what actually matters, and I really focus on the things that matter, um, when we look at uh, at the studies and patients come out of these studies, oftentimes they say, "Oh, I realized I neglected my family. I mm. neglected I mm. neglected my friends. I realized nature matters a lot to me. I need to be more outside. Uh, I need to take care of my body. Right? All uh, aspects of, that uh, are known to contribute to a, a, a good mental health. So, um, like you said, right? If uh, if patients have that. Uh, mental reset and they focus on what matters most to them um uh, i I hope they get better in the long run and if that happens at a large scale hopefully we have a more uh, kind uh, society uh, to each other
0: i think it's totally realistic i mean i think it's something that will change things that we don't even we can't even think of right now like we couldn't think of having a tesla car like 10 years ago for example that I mean, now it yeah. seems like yeah, well, it's totally normal. But ten years ago, it was like a total back to the future scenario, movie thing, or something. <laughs> so why shouldn't the yeah. world be kinder after sex <laughs> <hours? laughs> So <laughs> it could
1: be. Look, I think I, I just to quote. Uh, uh, you know, I'm 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 no expert here, right? But I I like what uh, Rick Doblin uh, mm-hmm. says, right? Uh, we we had a discussion uh, two years two years ago, I want to say, and. Um, And someone asked and said, look, uh, why did the psychedelic uh, movement uh, fail in the 1960s and early 1970s? Um, There was all that great research. It Mm -hmm. was helping patients. There were already clinics treating people. You know, why did it all come to an end? Why did it fail? And so then Rick paused for a bit and he said, well, it didn't fail. It was too successful. Ah, And that's an interesting one. And he said it threatened the establishment Mm -hmm. back then, right? We were much more in a... There was a power culture. The U.S. were at war, war in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. What happened is they couldn't find enough recruits anymore in the young population because, as you know, LSD had escaped the lab. Sure. And people that had an LSD experience said, look, why should I fight a war if mm-hmm. I could rather think about an, you know, a green revolution or energy change or female rights, black rights, uh, the anti-nuclear movements? So all of these uh, movements came out of this uh, this psychedelic um, uh, world—that's
0: interesting. Yeah, I never thought about this. Yeah, and so
1: um, you know, I think the uh, the positive benefit that you're talking about, right? I, I think um, if people become kinder to themselves, you know, first you need to heal yourself, and um, to be there for others. I think you're right, right? If that happens at scale, uh, hopefully, uh, this will have a major impact on on the world. I mean, we large. have uh,
0: milk that we put in a coffee made out of peas right now. I mean, yeah. I never thought this I mean, somebody would have told me this. And I'm obsessed with it. It's just the best milk ever. It's like how fast this goes that you adjust to things. It's also very interesting. But before we before we go, I would I'd really like to talk a little bit about the uh, like a compass offering um like public market shares. So and because I'm just wanted to quickly talk about this because I feel in my kind of a lot of like I said, a lot of my friends are suddenly to start and in, invest in this. And I feel it's a kind mm-hmm. of an interesting mixture of investing something with a purpose that is not just <laughs> like, um, yeah, well, anything that has not such a great purpose maybe in the end. So, but a lot of people actually are wondering how to approach this. So, I mean, in general, the psychedelic mm-hmm. investment, but I mean, of course, you, yours is out there and it's it's a very attractive company to invest in that's what i hear from from people who are really um know a lot about this so how could somebody how, how would you say somebody should approach this i mean i know you have you communicate with your investors you haven't you have a special website where you actually where one can get information and um just maybe get a little bit of advice so or let's say, how would you like to people approach this that are just getting into investing and um, also l- would like to invest because it's a great company with a great purpose?
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's a great question. And um, look, I, I would advise people that look at investing into psychedelic therapy, um, developing com- companies and to think about uh, what's what's real. Right. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of these uh, companies that uh, consist of a fancy uh, PowerPoint presentation, um, but it's really about running these large-scale uh, studies in order to be successful. right? And then I think, um, uh, obviously, we're very transparent with the work we're doing. Um, you know, key focus is depression. But now we're looking at all these new indications. Uh, I mentioned some of them. Others we're looking at is autism and anorexia. Mm-hmm. And so we're broadening it out. And so... I think then as an investor, right, your decision needs to be, do you believe in psilocybin therapy? Um, and um, and then you, then you can look at what's going to happen at Compass in the future. Obviously, we're going to have the results from the Phase 2B uh, program, and then people need to make their assessment. Do they believe this is, has a good chance to be uh, successful? If the answer is yes, uh, then, uh, you know, that, that should influence their investment decision. Um, and I think that's the way they should think about all uh, the uh, companies in that space. I think what is really important to us is that we're not a, uh, we don't define ourselves as a psychedelic company, mm-hmm. uh, but really as a mental health care company, okay. because um, we're uh, somewhat agnostic. We just believe that SciSub is one of the amazing, most amazing tools out there to change outcomes for patients. Um, but we're looking far broader than that. I mentioned digital, for example, we're looking at other mental health innovation at the moment. And so, whatever brings hope to patients is something that we're interested in mm-hmm. um, and so that's that's how we define the company. So whoever's interested in invent- investing in mental health uh, should absolutely uh, look at Compass.
0: And I mean like we, we talked in our first podcast we did, we talked about you undergoing a psilocybin experience and getting in touch with the, the changes that can actually bring to your mental health. So have you done anything else in the meantime, or is it was that? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. I always want to know about the experiences of others. If you want to talk about it,
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so look, I think the um, I think the interesting thing, maybe to answer that question, uh, is that uh, I, I told you Anna that my first uh, experience that really helped me with my own depression mm-hmm. and anxiety in 2016. And what's really amazing is that I'm still having um, uh, insights from that experience, right? There were things that became very clear to me of uh, what matters to me in my life and things that don't yeah. matter. And so, for example, I realized how much I love nature. And so I moved, uh, one of the results that I uh, then implement is i moved out to the woods. And so, you know, I can take a walk uh, whenever I want in the forest, for example. Mm-hmm. I realized I definitely wanted to have kids. Uh, I have a little daughter now, oh. one and a half year oh. old. I have another one on the way. Um, so I think the the uh, you know and, and I I realized how who's important in my life who my friends are who I want to stay in contact with um uh, how important my my own health is for example and, you know all these things I'm still I have very present mm-hmm. uh, in my mind mm-hmm. and I think that is that is one of the things that gives me a lot of confidence in our work when I look backwards you know now five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, I had that experience and still today I'm using what I learned from it. And I think as Michael Pollan said, right, on a rational level, that is clear to you before, but it just sinks in on a different level Mm -hmm. uh, under inner psychedelic experience. And so maybe that's the best way to answer it. Um, In the past year, I still benefited from an experience I had five years ago. So you're
0: still working on your integration. (laughs) Absolutely. Which is totally what my experience too, that like, So many things popping up suddenly in a moment where you don't think they would pop up, where you can connect (laughs) dots that you couldn't connect, and then kind of go to make different um, decisions based on these dots that are connected. So I totally can see that this lasts for like a long time. How you actually how this implements in in your life, actually?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's important, right? I think. uh uh, the integration part is, you know, you, there are those people that, for uh, you know, I know that take psychedelics very regularly, but you don't see them change.
0: Yeah, and so yeah it's become. It's
1: true. Mm. Uh, so it's really important to focus on the uh, integration part um, if you want to see change in your life. So,
0: last, it was great to have you on the show the second time. A lot of things have happened, and thanks for being on the show again.
1: Thanks very much for having me on it.